0: Hey, Hey, it's Conrad Thompson. And you're listening to Grillin' Jr. with the voice of wrestling. Mr. Jim Ross, Jim, how are you, man? I'm good. Conrad, you know, I thought of you this morning. I had a song in my
1: head. It was something like Conrad rides on wherever, because you've been all you've been, you're spending more mic time than, uh, the late Larry King for God's sakes.
0: <laughs> yeah. We're recording a lot these days. Of course, you're getting all these shows early and ad free, but you got to go to adfreeshows.com to make it happen. You can even see the video of Jim and I right now, but yeah, we got Kurt angle on the squad now and Tony Schiavone and Eric Bischoff and Arn Anderson and Bruce Pritchard. uh, oh. it's, it's a lot going on. And, uh, I guess over the weekend, we just dropped the new Jim Crockett interview, which I sent you a link to, and yeah, I'm excited to get your I, feedback.
1: I didn't, uh, I almost sit through the whole thing. It's, it's a long interview. Yeah. It's three hours. Yeah, so I didn't realize it was three hours. I should have noticed it with my technical expertise, my innate in knowledge of intellectual properties and not intellectual properties, but, uh, it sure. That's a joke. So I watched at least an hour and a half of it. And, uh, and I got it on my iPad here to finish probably today. What I have heard thus far has been excellent. Thank you know, you. Jimmy is a lot like all of us that get, get older. It takes sometimes a little while for the old computer in your brain to click in yeah. and process a question with a accurate uh, answer. And the one thing I saw in that interview that you did with him, Conrad, he did a good, great job is that fact that he was really honest. Yes. He truly was really honest. Now, again, I haven't heard the whole thing. You know, I haven't got to the part where he knocks me, but no I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, but that's, He, I thought he was really honest and very objective. Uh, his family's history in wrestling is truly amazing. So if you're a historian wrestling fan, or you just want to expand your knowledge of the product and the genre, because the Crockett promotions, uh, JCP affected the lives of a lot of great wrestlers, the guys, they started the guys, they enhanced and made better. Of it, that they became main inventors there. Your father-in-law, the Nature Boy, is certainly would be at the top of that list, I would think. Yeah. He got his break there. He became Ric Flair, the Na- the Nature Boy Rick Flair there. So uh but it was fun hearing the stories about Oli. You know, Oli's stories are so consistent. He's just generally to everybody a miserable SOB. Yes. And that's consistent. <laughs> so uh you know the irony of that I never had any issues really working with Oli. You just, cause I work for cowboy and they're a lot alike. Right. So anyway, uh, but I, I enjoyed the interview. Anybody that's, uh, like I said, has an interest in it, man, uh, go out of your way to check it out. It'd be great for a long trip or whatever. It's got a lot of real good content. And, uh, with a truly, uh, interesting man that, you know, I think, uh, I was really relating to what he said about putting window cards out. I did the same thing. Yeah. 1974, putting window cards out, because that's the main way you, you, uh, promoted you, know, you, you, yeah, you show tickets. So anyway, it was a good, you did a good job, Connie, and I'm proud of you. And I hope everybody will listen to the Jim Crockett interview. It's a, it's really a unique piece of wrestling history.
0: Well, we're going to be talking about another piece of unique wrestling history. Today's topic is WCW wrestle war, 1991. It went down on February 24th and 91 at the Arizona veterans Memorial Coliseum in Phoenix. There's about 6,800 fans there in attendance, which that night sadly is only about half full only 4,300 of those folks were paying customers. The gate was a measly $53,000. Hmm. And, uh, the tagline for the show was we want you. And I do like the idea that we showed the Horsemen Barry Windham, Arn Anderson and Sid vicious and their army fatigues. And I guess we're you know, right around the time of the Gulf War. remember on the other station, Vince McMahon has turned Sergeant slaughter heel and they're trying to make uh, Hulkamania all about patriotism. So I guess I understand it. Uh, but I don't know that it resonated with the fans in Phoenix. Was it a mistake to run a WCW show all the way towards the West coast like this? It doesn't feel like it was well-received for us to be here at half a house.
1: Well, it's demoralizing as you know discussed before we started recording. When I look at our, our content today, uh, the thing that I mentioned to you is that it still a little stings a little bit that we only had, you know, 4,000 and change paid. Yeah. Uh, you know, it goes back to the old promoter adage. We didn't have what they wanted to see. Yeah. It, and it ended up being a, a, a very solid pay-per-view without question. But a lot of that goes back to local marketing. Who, who was the local event? Uh, market promoter, the promoter. Yeah. How was the show promoted? Do we have a lot of outside, uh, uh, the wrestling envelope publicity. You get guests on the morning weather show or the morning news show or whatever. I don't know all those answers. And, uh, I don't know if anybody knows specifically at this point in time, this is many years later. So it has a lot to do with how the market's promoted. You know, the TVS overlay was strong. They had all that data on that who watched where and when. So, uh, it was a little demoralizing for me in in hindsight, especially that we had a pretty good show, but we didn't have the audience, uh, there to really make it work. Uh, The thing I remember is really funny what you remember about some of these shows. Uh, I remember having great Mexican food that weekend. And I remember sitting by the pool because it was February. Right. And I was living at that time. Uh, this was, uh. 91, I was living in Atlanta and Atlanta in February. is, a, you know, it could be, be chilly. So I remember the warm weather and the Mexican food and I don't want that says about my personality, but that's so uh, what I recall. Uh, but it was a, it was an interesting weekend to say the least.
0: Let's talk about Arizona for a minute here. I just, it didn't feel like a strong territory or a strong city for WCW. You guys would run it in July and then you came back in September. And you're in the same building on September 6th, 1991. And the show was canceled because the ring didn't arrive and only 450 fans showed up and then at the end of October on Halloween, you would go back as part of the Arizona state fair, it was a paid show. So there was, there were no tickets sold. It was just part of the the state fair. There's 5,000 folks there to see it, but this just feels like Really, really bad business that I can't put my finger on why it would have been the case. Any theories on your side?
1: Yeah. It's promoted local like shit. Yeah. Simple. You can't sell goods out of an empty wagon Conrad. Sure. And that's why you try to keep your, your wagon loaded with promotion and awareness and all that good stuff, but you can't sell goods out of an empty wagon and I, again, go back to the WCW proved on many occasions that uh, we were inept at promoting live local events, yeah. local events, time and time again. You know, we had some embarrassingly dismal crowds in the old mid-Atlantic area. Yeah. Uh, back in the, in a, in a TV. So you go do TV and, you know, I, I heard Jim Crockett say on the interview, you know, you put everybody on one side. So at least it looks bigger and there the, the noise uh, is compartmentalized. So you, you get a little bit more noise. You can mic it, you know, where to mic it. You put a mic over here if the crowd's over there. And so, uh, it makes a big difference to, from a sound and the field perspective. But I think all we're, all we're saying here, we're just identifying the same problem. The local market reps at that time, uh, were not very good. And it could have been a fact too, that they were not given much of a budget. So, but again, the old adage of marketing that I still profess to is that you can't sell goods out of an empty wagon and, we never put our, we never our marketing and advertising wagon. I don't remember anybody making any appearances there. You know, uh, Dusty and Missy. I remember Dusty, Missy, Hyde, and myself, I think traveled out there together from Atlanta, as I remember. And, but I don't remember any of us having media appearances, which is generally a layup. You call the, you know, you call the station. Oh, yeah, right. Come on in. Come in. And, you know, we'll do this in the morning. Morning drive type thing. Nothing. So I was just thinking it was just poor promotion. And again, you go back to the, but the overlying reason is we didn't have what they wanted to see.
0: I've always been fascinated by how you guys made stuff happen just logistically. Let's sort of talk about the week leading up to this show, uh, because on the 17th, well, I guess we'll start a few days back on the 12th. You're in Anderson, South Carolina at a TV taping the next day in Albany, Georgia the next day, Tallahassee, Florida, the next day, Jacksonville, Florida, Uh, the next day, Savannah, Georgia, the next day, Atlanta, Georgia, the next day, Montgomery, Alabama, the next day Macon, Georgia, then you're in Indiana. Then you're in Chicago. These are all consecutive days. And on the 23rd, the day before this pay-per-view you do a matinee show in Wisconsin, and then everybody jumps on a plane and heads here to Arizona. So even though it may not have been your forte or your strong suit, the schedule was legit. You guys are working nonstop. I mean, two days after this, you're doing another TV, taping at center stage in Atlanta, this is a traveling circus at this point. I mean, you're, you're on the road every single day.
1: Well, track the circus is a good analogy. It was a circus. I'm not even sure we had three good rings. Uh, for that circus. Uh, look, uh, I, I don't really know how all that was how all this, the routing was uh, derived. Uh, that would have been upper management and, uh, uh, handling that, you know, they would ask, you know, what about this market or that market? Or somebody would suggest, Hey, we haven't been to uh, Des Moines in a long time. Maybe that's maybe that'd be a nice stop. We could build a little routing around Des Moines as our base or hub. The normal idea was to go into a hub and then drive the loop, come back to the hub and fly to the next uh, location where we home or to the next bookings but we did not do a good job of, uh, of that. That was again, you know, when you and I have talked many times about WCW back in those days, and I don't, you know, I have no ill ill will toward them. You know, I did it one time, childishly, unprofessionally, no longer. Uh, but I, I, we just have never, we didn't do well because we had a, a, a poorly structured infrastructure and we needed, you know, uh, you know, that whole thing, if Gary Jester had been the market rep or the, in charge of, of doing all the routing had one person that, that had too many cooks in the kitchen, otherwise, but a guy like Gary Jester, for example, who was very, very good at everything he did, promoting his towns. It's funny how some of those towns suck pond water and the Jester's towns would do okay. Yeah, You know why? Because he was a hell of a good local promoter. If you flew into the airport in Jester's town. You people would, oh, Hey, I got my tickets. Or, or the, the worst one is the worst case scenario is you guys in town. You got a, you got an event coming up. Yeah. Tomorrow or tonight or whatever it was. Right. So, but we didn't have good we personnel was out of, they weren't bad people. It's just, they weren't good at their jobs. That doesn't make them a bad person, but we really sucked in that, that area. I, I felt, I felt, uh, felt for the talent. Nobody wants to travel, beat your ass up. You got these giant-sized guys, by and large, who're sitting in a car for hours or planes on end, terribly uncomfortable, bad on your back, and their backs are—you can't have a bad back and be a great wrestling star. So they're all already uncomfortable, and uh, then they walk into an arena or get to a town. I've heard this from the guys a million times. That's what I just got these saying. Oh, I didn't. You got? What are you guys doing here? Terrible. So uh, then you get to the arena. And it looks like a spot show or a little, uh, indie show at, a you know, at somebody's shed or something, or worse yet is you're in a nice building and there's hundreds of empty seats, right? And then you're out there to perform. And guess what? You get to get in a car and drive someplace else in a few hours.
0: Well, let's, uh, let's talk about wrestle war here. I'm curious your take on. The war theme. I mean, the original subtitle for this show, before it was We Want You, was Duel in the Desert. Of course, they're going to drop that because Operation Desert Storm becomes a real thing. We briefly mentioned at the top of the show that on the other channel, Vince McMahon has really doubled down on the whole Gulf War conflict, and now it's about America versus Iraq, having Sergeant Slaughter become an Iraqi sympathizer. They're even name dropping Saddam Hussein on WWE programming. And we recently talked about that that questionable Royal rumble, 1991 with Bruce. And I think you can point to that show as being where business starts to taper off in a major way. And WCW here is, is performing in front of half a house as well. A lot to discuss there. A, do you think we're turning people off with the war talk on our programming? B are people really just taken out of it and they don't feel like going to live events and doing all this because we are in a war. Uh, C, is it just what you said? Hey, no, it's just terrible local promoting. We didn't have what they wanted to see or D is it really just a cyclical business because that seems like an excuse that we hear a lot.
1: All those answers, all those questions rather could have, uh, the right answer to some degree. I think wrestling has trends. Uh, it gets hot then it cools off. It never goes away, but it gets hot and cools off. So yes to that. Uh, the, uh, fact that a lot of people like right now in Oklahoma, for example, I'm in Florida, but in Oklahoma, they're, they're involved in, have been involved all week in a big ass blizzard and they're told to stay home. Right. Uh, and so that, you know, that's a when, when you have an emergency, especially in a war thing where you don't know if you're gonna get bombed or, you know, all this, all these things, it's cr- crazy, but things go through your mind. Uh, I think people were not in, we're not in a festive mood. You're hearing every day about more soldiers getting killed. You're hearing every day from one side, you know, the political guys have got to get their shit in and that's what it is. All of them, uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm so disillusioned with the politics and i both sides of the proverbial fucking aisle. Uh, it just makes me sick. And I got friends on Facebook and things, Conrad, I don't know about you, but you know, I love them and I appreciate their friendship, but God damn, you got to let me up. Sometimes it's political stuff. Either they're either Trump's a piece of shit or Biden's a piece of shit. There's no in between. And I don't understand that. I don't understand that how people could, in this time and this, I don't think sometimes people really realize how tragic and serious this COVID thing is. They just don't want to believe it. I don't want to wear my goddamn mask or I'm, you know, whatever. I'm not getting that shot. So, uh, it, but it, I think the in, in end the, in of the line is poor local promotion and not having any talents really hot. When you say that you know, it's easy for me to piss off some of my buddies that are on those cards, you know, uh, JR really knocked that card. That doesn't mean I'm knocking the talent. Think about it for a second, right? The goddamn talent are performers. They're cast in a role not unlike a movie or a sitcom or, a or a Chicago PD or whatever the hell it may be. They're, they're just, they're cast in a role. And so if you're given a bad part with bad lines, so to speak, uh, are you asked to do things you're not very good at, then that's the, what you're going to get. You can get a product that's less than desirable. So I think there's a combination of things, Conrad. I just think the war took the, everybody that was, that's what, that's what was, uh, cannibalizing. Our thoughts. For many people, uh I can I I was not in that group, but for many people, they'd never experienced our country being in a real war. Right. You know, I, I grew up through the uh, Vietnam era. So I understood it. Well, I don't know if I understood it. I never did understand why we were in Vietnam, but that's another story from another time. But uh, nonetheless, uh it just took us all out of our game. So I, I think it was a combination of things. But here I do know this. If we had somebody red hot. If we had had somebody red hot or a more specifically a red hot storyline, then, uh, people would have found out about it. They would have been there It always happens that way. So, but we didn't, even though the war games was a great match, it was kind of a one trick pony in the eyes of people going into the show. When they got to the show and they bought it, they realized I just bought this show for the war games, but there's a lot of other good shit on here. So I don't know what the correct answer to your question. I'm not sitting on the, on the fence. It sounds like I am, I think it could be a a part and parcel to a lot of things. But the one cure all is, you you know, if we had had a stone cold in that group, we just got red hot and everything he touched was money. Then, then things have been a little bit different, but, but that that was not the case.
0: Well, we don't necessarily do booming business on pay-per-view, but it is the best buy rate of any show in 1991. It has a 1.2 buy rate, which means about 160,000 buys. That's roughly a $3 million gross. So WCW's share of that is going to be about 1.2 million. That's down slightly from the year before, but as we said, it's the highest buy rate of 1991. It feels like the business just as a whole falls off a cliff in 91. We saw the first pay-per-view from the WWF. Uh, it's going to be falling from that point forward for the rest of the year. Starcade at the end of the year only does a 1.0 buy rate by 92 most of the shows are pulling a 0. 0.5. So that whole cyclical thing, it feels like there may be something to that here because it's not just WCW's business that's down, it's everybody's.
1: Yeah. I I think the cyclical factor is uh is worth considering, no doubt about it. I, I without without question. The thing, another thing too, you go back and look at both companies at that era. Who was new? Young and new and over. Right. That's good. That's a good, uh, question, right?
0: Yeah. New, young, and over.
1: Wasn't Sarge. It wasn't Sarge and Hulk. No, it wasn't the, the war games. I love the war games. It's one of my favorite matches, but it wasn't new. Right. I will say that, you know, Dusty, who was the booking at that time and who did color with me on the show, uh, I thought the. Talent booked in it was an upgrade, it was give it a fresher look, but it was still the war games. So, if somebody's a casual fan or they're concerned about the war, they're concerned about their income, they're concerned about the uncertainty of our country with all the uh, you know, the, the nuclear weapons, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, uh, you know, it may you may say, Oh, I've seen the war games a couple of times, I'm good. So, uh, that's that's a uh, it was a tough time for everybody. I'm, it was, it was very, I, I remember it. And I, you know, I was only two years away from leaving WWE in 91.
0: You mean so, WCW? Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, WCW. And I have left WWE so many times, it's stuck in my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was a, it was an interesting time. And it, it was a, it, it, every year in pro wrestling has a tell, has a different theme and a different story. And for those of us like you and I, who love the business, That doesn't get old. It's kind of cool. Even though some days and some years are better than others. That is what I think. That's kind of a cosmic of a, uh, uh, microcosm of life, quite frankly, Conrad, I mean, some years I've had some great years and I've had some years I'd rather just move on from, but I think that's just all of us. And I think the wrestling business is not immune
0: to that. Let's talk about, uh, the other thing that is uh, going to consist or, or or continue to persist rather with Vince McMahon and WCW maybe another reason why the show didn't draw well the WWF ran a show the night before in the same market they drew 4800 fans or 6000 folks in attendance the gate is $60,000 this is uh, Vince McMahon Jim Herd 101 they were trying to counter program each other pretty consistently and really heard was just picking up where Crockett had left off. Where was the WCW versus WWF feud from an office standpoint here in early ninety-one, as far as far as you remember? Hey man, let me give you a little life hack just in time for Mother's Day and Father's Day. I'm talking about paintyourlife.com. That's the place where you can get a gift that mom or dad will never forget. Real quick, do you remember what you got, mom or dad, last year for Mother's Day or Father's Day? Well, here's how you give a gift that they'll never forget. You find something that's meaningful, something that's personal. Maybe we're talking about their mom or dad who's no longer here. Maybe it's about a long lost relative. Maybe it's about their favorite pet who's no longer with us. Maybe there was always this dream that mom and dad were going to vacation to some exotic tropical island, but they never quite made it there. Well, all of those dreams can become reality at paintyourlife.com. You simply upload those photos. You can even use a photo right out of your phone. They can even help you combine photos to create one unique memory. You'll pick the artist. You'll even pick the medium. Hey, do you want an oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even pick the frame. The whole process is less than five minutes to get started. You can get it in as little as two weeks, but along the way, you work hand in hand to ensure that the artist is nailing it. They're getting exactly what you wanted, and you're going to get that reaction you wanted from mom or dad. I'm telling you this has been a home run for me. I've used it for my mom, for my dad, for my father-in-law, for my cousins, for my wife. It's great for any occasion, but with Mother's Day and Father's Day right around the corner, how do we show the people who gave us everything that we really care? I don't think you can beat a meaningful gift like this from paintyourlife.com. And if you're looking to give the best and most meaningful gift you've ever given, paintyourlife.com can hook you up. And there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. You can get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now to get this special offer, just text the word ROSS to 87204. That's ROSS to 87204. Text R-O-S-S to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com terms for details
1: uh most of us had, would have rather us focus on what we were doing, yep as opposed to what uh w w f was doing and then re- reacting uh so I think most of us are getting bored with it not, not bored is probably the wrong term let's can we just move on and focus on our stuff right, and if we do maybe our product will improve if the product improves the revenues will improve, and that's all you cats care about anyway the bottom line, that's why when you mentioned earlier, some of those, that little, that ridiculous tour that we went on, it sounded like a, we were traveling, uh, you know, the, the, the medicine man, medicine show or something. Uh, even if you do great business in there, there's, there's, those markets are so small. You aren't going to make a lot of money, but they're doing all they can to at least cumulatively get some small houses to help contribute to the deficits we want that were, were, were preconditioned or pre existent on the bottom line. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, it was a bad time, man. It was a bad time. The leadership direction, you know, the whole deal, everybody, everybody, the talents blobbing for their spot. Nobody, at the top guy wanted to, you know, lose their fucking spot right. or their push for God's sakes. You got to have a push, Conrad, in life in general. And boy, these guys are hypersensitive about they're pushed to the standpoint where guys didn't want to lose on TV. And to me, that is almost insanely ridiculous. Well, I can't lose on television. So you think that your, your career is that fragile or your skill sets, not that refined because mm-hmm. you know you, you think losing a match on TV is going to destroy your career. That's what it sounds to me like. So, you know, I, I, I had no time for that shit. Hey, this, your, your God, your name, your real, your real name's not even what you're, you wrestle under, you you know, you, you got a pseudonym here. You're an entertainer, you're a performer. I know you're an athlete, but you're also a performer in a business that is being, where you're being selected for a role. So you can't have it both ways. It can't be, if you're if you just want to, it's got to be real. Then you should fucking go to work for Dana White and find out how real it can be. Or you can be here and understand your role as a performer to take the fans on a ride and, uh, if you're a good enough performer, then the outcome of the match will not dictate your success or failure uh, for your, for your, uh, your, your family whatsoever.
0: Let's talk about the commercials, which were pretty controversial at the time. Um, of course these things were shot well in advance, but. By the time they're airing in heavy rotation in late January, America is at war. And we've got tons of references for wrestle war. Of course, it's the name of the pay-per-view. And of course we're talking about war games, but the slogan was repeated over and over we've declared war. That's probably not a best look for a casual fan or the general public. And one TV station, in fact, just pulls all the ads because they're getting so many calls from. Uh, people who are watching at home yeah. in hindsight, should we have just changed course here, or was that not really possible because you had to plan promotion like this so far in advance?
1: Well, you know, that's why they make a racers Conrad. Yeah. So when you see things like that, you know, we talked about, uh, the other day on on our show, we talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, Randy Orton saying that Eddie Guerrero's in hell. Yeah. Well, don't do it. Why do it? Right. Explain to me why we need to do the goddamn those sensational lines. We're 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 we're, we're shallow creatively. We're shallow uh, ego wise. Everybody wants the pop. Oh, I got a great pop on Do you hear that pop? Wow. Yeah, I saw those empty seats too. So go pop that, will you? Oh. Go pop. Go. You know. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't. I, I don't know, man, I, I you, you, that, you, you change things and you go on TV and you tell them why you're changing things. You make it human, you make it real. Oh, I get it. Oh, I'm glad they're doing that. People are losing loved ones and the goddamn in the war. And so what we're going to do is subliminally. It's all subliminally. We're not saying it bullshit. Then if you're not saying it, then your balls will fit into a thimble. You got no nuts. So consequently, I think that, you know, we just, uh, we gotta, we gotta be able to change and be willing to change. is probably more, more important, be willing to change WWE should have changed and, uh, and they weren't past the point of no return. Somebody tells you that's full of shit. You make new commercials, Conrad, come on. Well, we were already down the road and we already had the plan. Fuck the plan, change the plan. Remember it's pro wrestling. And you're dealing with fiction change the plan. So, uh, yeah, I, I got no time for that kind of shit. That's just being, sometimes that's being unmotivated and lazy because we've already got the work done once Conrad. So I don't want to do it again. Right. We'll get off your ass and, and get, get, get being productive, do it better this time. So that's my thought on that deal, which is pretty pointed. I don't, we can you, promoters. You gotta be willing to change and be sensitive to the, your viewer. The viewer has got to be, uh, adhered to their needs their wants their likes and desires have got to be adhered to, or you lose them and, and you go out of business.
0: Let's talk about some news and notes from the observer. Missy Hyatt was on briefly on Friday night on late night with Rick D's with Jason Hervey, who introduced Hyatt as his new girlfriend. It's a shoot, even though I realize most of you reading this won't believe it. Uh, what can you tell us about this Missy Hyatt, Jason Hervey relationship that started to, uh, make the papers here in early 91.
1: Uh, well, you know, Jason had a great run on the wonder years. He had a lot of, uh, name identity there in Hollywood. Seemed seemingly well-liked. I've met him, you know, many times, nice guy. I just think there was a boyfriend girlfriend deal, nothing too elaborate, but that I'm aware of, you know, hell I didn't get in their business. Right. Uh, but just I, as I, as, as I recall, this boyfriend, girlfriend stuff and, uh, and, and, and kind of, that's it. That's kind of the, you know, but she, Missy loved that. Missy enjoyed the, the newfound, uh, exposure and freedom. She's an entertainer. She's an independent contractor. She's trying to expand her, 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 uh, her market, her brand. And Jason Hervey was one way of helping do that. Uh, so, and uh, Hey, look, and her, who she was and how she looked was not a bad thing for Jason Hervey either. So I just think they probably had a win-win there. At least I hope they did.
0: Let's talk about some other, uh, notes from the observer quote. This is one for the books. The Steiner brothers won the world tag team titles from the free birds on February well, 18th, well, 18th, rather in Montgomery, uh, Alabama. Um, that's going to air on WCW pro on March 9th. I guess that gives away the results of Sunday's match. The irony is that an old school booker is the one who put this together and then no doubt will complain about others exposing the business, a similar story about Butch Reed and Ron Simmons. They taped a a breakup on Gainesville, Georgia on February 5th. It's not going to air until March 2nd. So they're going to team until then. But the idea here is we're, we're putting shows in the can. They're not going to air for a month, but by the time fans at home, see it, it'll all make sense. What do you think of uh, Dave's tongue in cheek comment here about, oh, and these same people will, will complain about exposing the business.
1: I'm assuming Dave was talking about dusty, right? Some Booker, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I've never been for that deal. Taping all that. I understand it. It's like, you and I sometimes will take a cluster, tape, a cluster of shows in a week, but we're, we're already talking about something that's already happened. Right. We're not talking about something uh, as a rule that's going to happen. less than our news notes or things like that. But as a rule, you know, we're, we're just talking about history, right. And how it affected me or you or the fans or at that point in time, all this stuff. So, uh, I think it's poor planning. I think it's being fucking lazy and you know, well, we get these in the can. We take some time off. You work, you work part time for God's sakes. Come on. They'd be like somebody at AEW saying, ah, oh, well, the schedule's killing me. Oh yeah. That four day a month gig is tough. I don't know how you do it. I really don't know how you do it. Going through TSA three or four times a month. Oh my God. How do you do it? What a, what a soldier you are, buddy. What? So, uh, I just didn't like that thing. It's just, how's it, how do you feel if you're in, in, uh, oh hell. Uh, one of those towns, at least one of these angles went down in and you're sitting there and you saw it, but now they're not acknowledging it. Right. Is there confusion in the marketplace? I would suggest there may be. Is that what you want to do as a marketer promoter? No. So I'm not, I wasn't a big fan of all that stuff. And as a broadcaster, you know, you know, what's going on, you know, the out of sequence stuff has been recorded. So as a broadcaster, going back into another time frame, it gets a little challenging way Have they seen this? Do they know this? So it was just a matter of um, continuing to move all the parts so that you don't step on your Johnson, even though
0: I would love to be able to step on my Johnson, (laughs) not really. Let's, uh, let's talk about the turn Meltzer would say nearly everyone in wrestling before this took place that I talked with felt that Simmons face turn wouldn't be nearly as effective if it was done against Reed because Reed doesn't have enough heat on him. So we're going to start turning Ron Simmons into a major baby face. We know he's destined for greatness. I'm going to become the world champ. We just covered his, his whole entire career. Uh, Fun show, yeah. Great show. It's in our archives. Go check it out grill com or anywhere you enjoy podcasts, but chat me up. Could they have done a better job positioning, uh, Ron as a baby <laughs> face. If he would have turned against someone else who maybe had more steam on him? They think in the newsletter here that butch Reed, maybe not the guy.
1: Well, uh, I think one of the reasons Butch was the guy, because they're going to go back to the old adage that they're partners, right? <clears throat> but they didn't have a long enough tenure as partners to develop what you want, what it, what, it, what the implosion should create. The implosion of a team will work. If the team has got tenure and they have roots set in their, in their, in their unit. That's probably going to sound bad in an out clip, but nonetheless, uh, so yeah, it could have been done better without a doubt. I also think that one of the reasons is, uh, you know, I think Caucasian, uh, power brokers enjoy, uh, for whatever reason, it's an easy, easy out, uh, booking black versus black. How many times we've we seen that happen just because their skin color is how I not looking at it. I may just be dead ass wrong in this thing too, but I believe that has a factor, but yeah, Ron's deal was was not handled well. And look, let's don't, let's don't discount Butch Reed. They're, those great heels don't grow on trees. That's right. So, uh, neither guy got justice, but, but the, the powers that be knew they weren't going to say too much because A, they knew that their, their, uh, lot in life as an African American wrestler was, was tenuous at best, has been forever, not so much today. Thank God but it still exists. If you don't believe me, ask some black guys that are making a living and they're looking over their shoulder every damn day. So, uh, I, I just think that that was, it was mis, mishandled too big a hurry. So many things to go back and look at WCW creative and how it quite failed in, in this era was that the pressure from the front office to the, to dusty and the booking committee or whatever it may be was immense. And they thought they, many of the upper management people that turn to brass that, well, it's just wrestling. It's just wrestling. Change it. Make a different, make this guy a bad guy, make this guy a good guy. Well, you, okay, we can do that, but we can't do it in a week. Right. So, uh, you know, the only way you're going to do a double turns, you get a stage like WrestleMania 13, you got two talents like Bret Hart and Steve Austin in the match. Then you can do just down to anything you wanted it. That's, they're that good. They were that good. So. Uh, but butch and, and uh, Ron were not served well in my opinion, uh, during that time,
0: let's uh, talk about one more thing and then we'll get into the show. Meltzer had an issue with the canned crowd noise during the TBS shows. He says, I hope they stop this canned crowd noise during the TBS shows. I've heard of the term sound sweetening, but this is sound souring. The noise makes it impossible to get excited even during the good matches because the tape track they use is a constant dull roar. Rather than the ups and downs you get with the high and low spots of a match. Who do you think would have been a big advocate for sound sweetening in that era? If you had to guess,
1: uh, upper management, the, 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 the guys that wore blue blazers and white shirts and red ties heard. Well, he would have been one of them. Sure. I think, you know, And I, look, if, if you have the technical expertise as an audio engineer, you can make that work. And in today's equipment, and you can sync things up, uh, technologically much better than in that era, Uh, that era was, uh, was not conducive yet technologically to do a two hour sweetening job, right? You might add sweetening on a pop or a laugh or whatever in a sitcom or whatever, but to, to sweeten an hour show or a two hour show is down there technically impossible to do it well in that in 1991 today, it's a little bit easier. So, uh, but I don't have a problem with it if it's done correctly.
0: Let's get into the show, by the way. I know that you said you don't have the best memories of this because it's a little depressing to be wrestling in front of half a house, but <laughs> 93.7% of the readers who watched the show, uh, gave it a thumbs up in the wrestling observer only 5.9% thumbs down. So overwhelmingly positive reviews, just 0.4% thumbs in the middle. Most everyone thought the war games match was the best match. And most folks thought the, uh, J Y D match. The six man was the worst match. You watch this one back for the first time in a long time. Um, I know that it's weird or depressing or whatever, challenging to look at empty seats and get excited about it. But dude, the roster here is really pretty remarkable. Is it not?
1: Well, it's, it was, uh, yeah, it was all right. It's all right. Conrad, you know, uh, aside from the war games, there's not a match on that card. You can take or leave. In my opinion, the, the Japanese women's tag match got from the Meltzer. No room. This is from Meltzer's audience, right? And Dave has schooled and educated a lot of his fan base and his customer base to Japanese wrestling. And it's been a constant flow for him. He's considered one of the foremost experts in Japanese professional wrestling alive today. That's his he likes it. He talks about it. He promotes it. It's all cool. But other than that, the, the Japanese women's tag, I was a little surprised I got fifty one votes. Which you think about the big picture, not very much. Uh but yeah, there was a lot of interesting talents. But I look at the, the best match, worst match stuff. Who was over? Right. And what young strapping
0: stallion of an athlete, uh, was hot, nobody. So in your, in your mind's eye, this is a one show. This is a one match card. Bingo. Yeah.
1: Or as well, Kevin Dunn would say ding,
0: ding, ding. <laughs> Let's jump into it. Meltzer word, right? World championship wrestling scored a big hit Sunday with its WrestleWar award 91 show from Phoenix. I haven't seen the tape as of this writing, but from a live show perspective, It's the best card I've seen in the United States since the 89 bash, the 97.3% thumbs up in the poll would be the third best in the history of the poll trailing only the 89 music city showdown in Nashville, which was flare steamboat, the final match of the trilogy and the 89 New York knockout clash, which was flare funk. I quit. So the third best reviewed from the quote unquote smart marks and Dave was here live and really liked it. How about the dark match here? Eddie Guerrero is in the dark match as well as Rudy Boy Gonzalez, who we know is going to be a big part of Shawn Michaels wrestling school. Eddie Guerrero here in 91 Meltzer was there live, liked it, gave it two and three quarter stars. Uh, Guerrero gets the pin with a, uh, modified Frankensteiner on Rudy. Um, I don't know, man. It's weird to think about Eddie being on the radar in 91. That just feels way ahead of time.
1: You'd think that in a uh, market that had a strong uh, Hispanic population like Phoenix, that match would have been promoted and put on a card. Yeah. Uh, because in 1991, Eddie Guerrero was still badass. As good as there was. Yeah. As good as there was. And think of how much more he could have been focused on and highlighted if he had not been buried in a six man. Put him with a great heel. Let him go out there and do what he does speaking of Eddie and, uh, and rock and roll from there. But that's, you know, that's, that's hindsight booking. Now I get that too, but, uh, we should have had a strong Hispanic feel, at least one match that really had a, a Latino feel for Phoenix, a little Lucha Libre type synergy. And I don't think that we fulfill that uh, obligation to that massive fan base.
0: The first match is, well, it took me out of it a little bit because I remember this being a great show. But then I see JYD, Ricky Morton, and Tommy Rich on a tag team. And I think, boy, we just didn't have a plan here. I just don't know how those guys fit together, but they do. Well, I can uh, tell you how
1: they weren't booked.
0: Yeah, they weren't booked, and they're baby faces. Let's throw them on a team. There you go.
1: The, the, these guys, when you go back over your sheet and you had marked off all the names that you booked, then you look at the names that don't have a mark through them. Okay, we can use this guy. Okay, we need to book we need to book him type deal. And that's what this is. You got the junkyard dog and Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, all famous as hell in a different era.
0: Yeah, big time. real. Yeah.
1: Big time now. State Patrol and Big Cat were the were green, young, and they weren't over. They had no heat. The match had no story. It was just some old time nostalgic, uh, uh, booking and to be honest with you. J Y D day in and day out was well liked by everybody. He was jovial and happy, go lucky, uh, as a rule, but he should have been, he should have been doing something else because we couldn't replicate what he a shadow of what he used to be. Right. He didn't look like it. He didn't move like it and he wasn't motivated like it, Ricky Morton. Probably was uh, the best worker by far in the whole match. Oh yeah. Not close. But you can say that about a lot of his matches, quite frankly. Sure. Have you been following the school of Morton? He's got a nice school there in Tennessee.
0: Absolutely. He's doing real well with it. Look it up yeah. online and uh, keep up with him and his son, Kerry. They've been fun to watch on social.
1: I can't believe Kerry's already starting to be a pro wrestler. Cause I, you know, my, some of my vivid memories of the little fart was when he was, uh, like five. Right. <laughs> so he got it. Think, Oh shit, I'm getting old. But, uh, this match was booked because those guys all had, uh, the three baby faces all had paid their dues. had some name identity. And, uh, so let's get them a match. Let's give them a payday. And that's kind of, I think that's what happened there. That's my take. I may be wrong, but I think that's what happened.
0: No, I think you're right. Uh, they're also the six man tag team champions, which tells you how much of a priority Woo-hoo. that was here. Yeah, the six man titles here. This feels like maybe it was a great idea for the Von Erichs, but I don't think it ever really worked as well anywhere else. Would you agree with that?
1: Uh, outside the Freebirds, no.
0: Yeah, Freebirds
1: made it happen, made it work uh, because they were great, and uh, they they egocentrically were not going to fail. Right. At least if they could help it by any uh, hook or crook. So yeah, the six six man titles are it's a kiss of death. It's like, it's like giving somebody the title of a like cruiserweight, cruiserweight title, because cruiserweights have been marketed so poorly along with a junior heavyweight title, which I'm partial to, by the way, thanks to Danny Hodge. Uh, the, uh, there are certain things that you just in today's world is not going to accept. I, 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 I shudder to think if, if, if AEW wanted to have a six man tag champions, and I think that will happen. I'm guessing, I don't know, know this, but I'm guessing because we're so tag team heavy, Right, add another guy to somebody else's duo is more doable because we have so many tag teams that are getting regular TV exposure.
0: Let's talk about big cat. We know he's going to go on to be Mr. Hughes. I always felt like Mr. Hughes may have been a a missed opportunity. It felt like once upon a time, he could have been uh, an upper mid card guy for y'all and. This doesn't seem like he ever had sustainability within either promotion, whether it was here or the WWF. Any memories about Curtis Hughes you can share with us?
1: Yeah, Big Curtis was a, was a hell of a football player at Kansas State. At that time, the the Kansas State Wildcats, as they were known, was the, they weren't very competitive. So I used to bullshit with him all the time about the Mildcats. Cats. How are those Mile Cats doing up in Manhattan, Kansas? Uh, of course, Oklahoma's kicking them like a. Redheaded stepchild, as they say, that's probably politically incorrect. Uh, the redheaded coalition will probably sign a petition on JR today, but nonetheless, I jest. Uh, big athletic guys like that again, don't grow on trees. Right. And, and, uh, Curtis Hughes had great facial expressions. Uh, I believe that part of his issue may have been, you know, I think he was, he could fall asleep. He had an issue uh, sleeping. I don't know if he had sleep apnea or narcolepsy or whatever it was. I remember sitting in, uh, Arizona, ironically in 93 or so with Jay Strongbow and his wife waiting to catch a flight to fly back to the Northeast or or maybe Atlanta. Maybe it's going back to Atlanta. So in any event, uh, he got all concerned to Jay agent, you know, one of Vince's right-hand guys. You know, and he would always share information with the old man. (laughs) Uh, and he says, I got to call Caesar, which is what he called Vince Caesar. I got to call Caesar. I said, well, poor chief. See that guy over there, that that new guy, he's passed out. He's probably drunk. So he wasn't drinking. It was like nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, but he just fell asleep. And I went over and woke him up, and I said, Curtis, you all right? I said, oh, yeah. He said, I got the sleep thing going on. He said, I fall asleep a lot. So I think he had some health issues, Conrad, to be honest with you. Something as simple as that. But athletically speaking and the facial expressions and the body English, uh, I always liked Curtis. He's always a, a good dude. And he's another guy that's training wrestlers now in the Atlanta area. So I wish him well on that deal. But he, he had all the tools. It just unfortunately didn't work out for him.
0: Let's, um, let's remind everybody. Ricky Morton picks up the pin here after, um, dog thumps, James Earl, right. And then, uh, Ricky hooks the leg and we're off to the races. You get the subtly of the James Earl. <laughs> yes, of course. Jesus uh, uh, next up it's about two great workers, Bobby Eaton and Brad Armstrong. Bobby's not introduced as being from Huntsville. They introduced him as being from the dark side and he's got uh-huh. those old midnight express rainbow style lines on his tights. So. Maybe he was a Pink Floyd fan. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, but he pins brand Armstrong in twelve minutes and fifty seconds with a top rope leg drop. Meltzer would say it was a little slow in spots, but excellent in other spots. Although Eaton played heel, the crowd treated both as if they were baby faces. I really dig this, man. Um brand Armstrong, one of the unsung heroes of wrestling, we've talked forever about how much we love Bobby Eaton. I yep. know neither one of these guys may have been strong on promos or charisma or it or whatever. But man, once the bell rang, whatever it is, they had it in spades. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. yeah
1: they were magic. No doubt. They were magic uh, and bell to bell guys. Couldn't ask for any two better. You really couldn't folks. If you're a young wrestler and you listen to this podcast, and I know a lot of you do, or at least you tell me you do. So keep bullshit me. Cause I like it. Uh, it, you couldn't, you couldn't go too many other places to watch. you know, the normal things, flair, some of these dudes, Bret Hart, some of those cats. Uh, to see, to learn things, nuanced nuances. You can't get better than Bobby Eaton and Brad Armstrong. You know, they're going to be off the radar for some of you. If they're especially in single matches, cause Bobby, of course, was a tag team King with midnight express. Uh, but boy, these guys can teach you a lot. And I thought they had a good match again. remember it's book cold. There was no story behind it. There's no momentum going into it. It was just a match. You fill in the blank match. Because we needed eight minutes or whatever it was on the card. And they got 1250, says here. So uh they fill some time and they did it well. And uh both guys should be coveted and acknowledged for what they've contributed to the business, in my opinion.
0: The match is really, really fun. Uh, if you like wrestling man, this is probably right up your alley. Meltzer gives it three and a quarter stars, and they get plenty of time too 12 minutes and 50 seconds. But next up, it's time for, as Pat used to say, some Gaga. There's an ongoing storyline throughout the night where Missy Hyatt is going to be the first lady to conduct an interview inside a men's wrestling locker room, <laughs> who gives a shit, Jim. Nope, like why? Nobody, I nobody. understand this is an opportunity to get her on camera and she was a great television performer. First of all, she was very beautiful, but she really knew how to play up the ditzy character, uh, whether you loved her or hate her, you had a reaction to her, so I get yeah. that mm-hmm. she needs multiple spots, but I don't know. This seems a little hokey. I do like the big payoff where she finally gets into the room. And of course she's there to look for a hunk, wink, wink. And she sees uh, Stan Hansen and the chewing tobacco is falling out of his mouth, <laughs> fun little comedy piece for them, but a little hokey for a pay-per-view. What say you,
1: I thought it was all right. Because I I thought it was funny because she was very uncomfortable with, you know, being a, being a pervert, I guess, no, not a pervert, but you know, just being somebody that likes that kind of humor. Yeah. Oh, uh, I like, uh, I like physical humor and sight gags and things of that nature. And she was so for real was worried about getting tobacco juice spit all over who wouldn't be so, uh, I thought it was okay. It it seemed to be relatively short. And even if you didn't like it, at least they, I think we went through the process of trying to set it up to where it had a setup for the tobacco juice payoff. Right. Uh, so yeah, that was that. And but she did, a, she did a, that was a let me up deal. That's one of those Vincent man isms. I don't, the let me up was that. And, and I thought you were talking about the Japanese women who beat the shit out of each other. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't hate the bit, but I thought it was set up. Okay. If it just come out of nowhere and it was too long, then I'd have been with you Conrad on that deal. Other than that, I thought it was okay.
0: Let's get to, uh, the, the ladies match here. Um, we should mention you're doing commentary on this show with your old pal Dusty Rhodes. Dusty's rocking that red leather jacket. It's a hell of a look. He's gonna rock it for the rest of WCW. And I'm glad he did. Um, uh, but you almost are a little nervous going into this. You acknowledge to the audience at home, hey, um, we're gonna do our best to pronounce their names properly. <laughs> these days no, you probably you probably get a little heat for that these days. Gary Michael Capetta nails it. I'm gonna butcher it because I'm a hillbilly. But we've got Yamazaki and Kitamura picking up a win here over Miss A and uh, Honda, or Honda. They go six forty-seven, and Meltzer would say the fans weren't into this one early since there was no build-up and they didn't know any of the four. This next part I think is important. The match lacked the face heel thing, so it never got heated. Well, I think that's obvious. But once A started throwing those stiff kicks, the place kind of woke up and was stunned into getting into the bout very fast paced with lots of hot moves, including a Northern light suplex, three and a half stars gets it done. I thought the match was okay, but I do think from a pay-per-view standpoint, you want to be pulling for somebody, you want to be cheering against somebody. And if you don't know anyone that's really hard to do. So maybe they were done a disservice here, but the actual work itself was light years ahead of what we've seen here in America for women's wrestling. Wouldn't you agree?
1: Yeah, they were, they were phenomenal bill to bill. And it also shows you uh, Meltzer's, uh, uh, love and devotion for lack of a better term, uh, for the Japanese brand. Yeah. He is, He just told you why the match shouldn't have been great. Nobody knew who the talents were. Right. There was no bail or he, no, ba- uh, heel or baby face, uh, contrast, but they were Asian. They did beat the shit out of each other. And I can only say at the end of the day, the only name I did not mispronounce was miss a. Everything else, I think I'm sure. And look, here's what's funny, man. Someday, if you're on a chocolate cake binge, <laughs> go watch that match and put closed captioning on it and see how the closed captioning person interprets what dusty and I are saying. Cause Dusty gets about halfway into a word and just make the rest of it up and, uh, or give it another syllable or two. It was funny in hell. So, uh, but they did work hard. And I will be, I'll agree with Meltzer that the kicks kind of woke the crowd up because they were kicks that are, that hadn't heretofore had not been seen on certainly on WCW pay-per-views or any shows. Uh, they were, they were eye opening to say the least. So, well, I, I didn't, I, I thought it was a good match. I thought, I just didn't ever think that the American style of women's wrestling would ever rise to that level because of my perceived thought that women would be Would not want to invest in that much physicality. And I was wrong. Thank God. Again, I was wrong. So, uh, and that, cause we see that today, physicality with the ladies. I think that's wonderful. So, uh, but I I thought it was okay. I thought it was all right. I thought it was something different to your line of thinking Conrad about, uh, pay-per-view. You should get something extra that you normally wouldn't get on a weekly show on a pay-per-view something more than one's good. But you got to get something different. Uh, so th- I thought we—I thought that was a nice addition. And you know, they, they didn't. How long did they work? Uh, what was the match? Six forty-seven. Come on, that's not—that's not. You can watch six forty-seven anything. So I thought it was good. I thought they did—they did a nice job. And I don't know if they were ever to be seen again.
0: Let's uh, let's get to the next match. This is one I didn't even remember happening until I uh, watched this one back for the first time in thirty years. It's everyone's favorite nature boy, buddy Landale. And, uh, he's facing Dustin Rhodes. I think this is Dustin's first pay-per-view match back, uh, the prior month he was on Royal rumble 91. So here he is back on pay-per-view this time for WCW and you're sitting ringside doing commentary with dusty Rhodes, and you've been sort of poke fun at that. Hey, it's the first time I've called a match with the father of one of the competitors. That's probably never happened before for real, right? Yeah. I'm tr- i try to think back.
1: Not really. I don't think so. Maybe, uh, Lawler and Brian Christopher.
0: Ah, there you go. Uh, Dustin Rhodes is going to pin buddy Landale here in six minutes and 32 seconds with a bulldog headlock. Landale was working harder than usual, taking extra high bumps to get Rhodes over. There were a few spots towards the end that didn't go as planned and people could see it. Buddy took one awfully high backdrop, two and a quarter stars. I love Dustin in this era. We haven't spent a ton of time talking about Buddy Landell, but he's probably one of the great what ifs of professional wrestling, isn't he?
1: Yeah, very underrated. Very when he wanted to be good, he could he could be really good. And obviously, with uh, uh, his opponent's father doing the booking, you're going to take those high backdrops. called good. That's good for business. And of course, buddy knew every trick in the book, you know, an old territory guy out of the Memphis territory, but buddy was uh, very, uh, very talented, you know, uh, and he, I always thought that the nature boy thing, I thought the Ric Flair pulling off the nature boy thing and, and following buddy Rogers was a miracle to some degree because buddy Rogers legendary with the nature boy moniker, and then buddy does it, which more, I think it was just more of a heel thing. I don't know if we ever. I don't know how we ever described that as as well as we should. But nonetheless, Buddy Landell was a very underrated talent. Buddy just had trouble managing himself, and his demons uh, were not not very edifying, and he had hard times with them, and certainly died way too soon. That's that's a a situation of a guy that had better mentorship early, and had somebody uh, kind of half-assed looking over his shoulder. Could have had a magnificent career, but he couldn't control his demons.
0: What about Dustin here? What did you think about his presentation here in early 91?
1: I always liked Dustin's work. That, that era was he was really good. I mean, you know, the, the, oh, the, here's the, the problem he's going to have is that his, uh, much like Cody has right now. They're either going to love the roads, uh, legacy and the family and all that, or you're not. And I think that, uh, goes for anybody, but you know, uh, Dustin and Cody still to this, to a certain degree, this day have got to have got to continue to move out of the shadow of their great father. And I think that was Dustin's issue there. You know, he, he was, uh, still trying to figure out how to get to the next place without it always being he's dusty's kid. And I don't Sometimes on commentary, we may not have done a good job of trying to separate that and give him his own identity. But he was he was relying too much on uh or the well, the promotion was relying right, too much on him being Dusty's son. And of course Dusty being the booker, he put two and two together. So if you were always the boys were gonna say, well, he's getting a break because of his old man, blah, blah, blah. And that was, that's probably one of the more overused uh statements you can get because it's been done forever. Sons of promoters or sons of top guys, they moved the hell line very quickly.
0: Do you think uh that hurt Dustin more than it helped Dustin. I mean, just amongst his colleagues.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I do. Uh, because he's so, he was so great. Hey, look, the son of McGon is 50 something years old. Yeah. He's still good. Yes. Very. He, he's still good. I, I said this, you know, the, the most memorable, if I, if I, whether I work one more year or five more years, I'm gonna it's gonna be I'm gonna be hard pressed to have a match that I have most invested more emotion in and that I like calling more than Dustin and Cody. I thought it was a goddamn classic. I still do. Uh you know, that's another one that people can learn from. It's a unique setting. But here's the thing. It's the epitome of a personal issue. That's what the brother versus brother. And it was still fresh. Dustin hadn't been back for a long time. He was, he was still, he freshened up by being away. AEW was new. So I thought that, uh, that match was, uh, the stand the test of time in any era that I've worked in. So, uh, but Dustin's a hell of a hand, but I think sometimes, oh, that's that's the Dusty's kid. Then people would they'd sit and watch a match and they'd say, oh, that's the Dusty Roses boy. Well, you know, I remember that Dusty did this and I, so now they're talking about Dusty. I'm not talking about Dustin. So I think we should have, that should have been, uh, that might've been the, and uh, uh, that might've called for just a first name guy. Here's Dustin. <laughs> I don't know, Right. but it was hard to get, he, he needed some separation and need to cast his own shadow, not standing his dad's
0: next up two of my favorites. The young pistols, Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong take on the Royal family, which might be the dumbest thing on the entire show. It's Jack victory and rip Morgan. And they're dressed like they work at medieval times. They look like a couple of fucking goofs. The young pistols pick up the win in 12 minutes and three seconds. Meltzer would say the crowd wasn't into this match, even though all four hustled, it didn't make it any better. When somehow the plug was pulled on the lights and changing the lighting before the problem was rectified and it distracted the live fans from the match. The finish was the heels go for the double suplex on smothers, but Armstrong Dropkick, some others back and Steve pins, Jack star in a quarter. So there's a lighting snafu that we don't see a ton of on wrestling pay-per-views, but we have seen here and there. Do you remember this happening live? And and, and what do you recall? You just got to steer
1: the course. You know, it's not, I, it, the, the announcers can't fix the lights, right? You know, uh, I got, a, I, I had a deal made with the electrician. You don't do commentary and I don't fix lights.
0: <laughs> I like that deal.
1: So that worked out fine. Uh, barely remember the lights going out until I read our notes and uh, did I re- and saw it, I didn't, I'd forgot about it cause it wasn't that big a deal. Right. Uh, but all you can do as a broadcaster is continue to persevere, move forward and hope the goddamn lights come back on sooner than later.
0: The Royal family uh, gimmick. God, how bad was this?
1: Yeah, it wasn't good. Well, it's a, it's a, it's, one, it's how, how long, how long do you think, uh, the creative branch? uh the WCW uh organization spent on that gimmick.
0: Cup of coffee.
1: Yeah. You go down your sheet and find out who's not booked. Hey, these two guys aren't bad. Well, by the way, Jack Victory was not a bad it was a hell of a good hand. Yeah. If I had a territory, I'd want to I'd I'd like to have a Jack Victory or two in that territory. Sure. Because he can he's a he's very serviceable and fundamentally sound and he can protect your green baby faces, et cetera, et cetera. And Rip Morgan was the nephew, I believe of, uh, uh, Butch Miller of the Bushwhackers, if I recall correctly, New Zealand kid, big, rugged dude, this was green, but, uh, the real deal in that match was the young pistols they They were very underrated in my opinion, uh, Tracy and Tracy, some others had that natural fire and charisma, God bless his soul. And, uh, Steve Armstrong, uh. We're just had he's an Armstrong what else do you need to say he's the biggest Armstrong too of the group I believe so uh I like the young pistols but they weren't they weren't given any favors this booking they got on TV they got a payday in the story case closed
0: next up a the York Foundation interview Uh, well I guess earlier in the show we heard from uh, Miss Alexandria York and she's got Terrence Taylor with her and she predicts a win and X number of minutes. It's okay for what it is, but it's a little hokey at the time. Now it's time for the match though. Terry Taylor gets a win over Tom Zink in 10 minutes and 59 seconds. Meltzer was never really high on Tom Zink, but loved Terry Taylor. Wonder why, uh, but he got three and a half stars. Uh, Meltzer would write: Taylor took a lot of big bumps early. This turned into a great match with a lot of heat with the exception of Stan Hansen, Taylor was the only heel on the cow on the card. That was a true heel. Zink did a lot of hot moves for near falls at the end. The finish saw Alexandra uh, defend referee Scott Lee, or Lee Scott rather, as Zink had Taylor pinned, and then as Zink goes to argue with Scott, Taylor sneaks up from behind, schoolboys him, grabs a handful of tights, and that's your finish. The fans were into the finish because they knew Tom Zink had it won, and that Terry Taylor he cheated. This might may have been one of Terry Taylor's best showings on WCW TV. Um, he's a pretty controversial figure in wrestling. What do you think watching this one back? His match with Tom Zink.
1: It was a good match. It was a good match. Another one that didn't have a lot of momentum going into it, uh, but it was a good match. I'm sure Zink had a boo-boo face that he had to put Terry Taylor over because Taylor had been beaten by pretty much everybody. Uh, but Taylor was, you know, Cowboy Bill Watson, Mid South made Taylor a star, UWF in Mid South, and uh, Bill always saw something in Terry. Cowboys did commentary one night with me <clears throat> on a Terry Taylor match. And I can't remember the exact setup, but Terry was a baby face. He got a bull rope or a strap or something cord around his neck. And he, then he threw, they threw him over the top rope and he caught his head between the second and the third rope. So now he's hung by the second, third rope. You've seen that spot before, obviously. But he's also got something around his neck. So Cowboy said, uh, my God, Terry Taylor is double hung. <laughs> and uh so then Watt says, You know that line I said on TV other day just that's not really which one? The one where I said Terry Taylor was double hung. I said, oh so yeah, that was funny. He said, uh now my wife my wife and all her friends want to meet him.
0: <laughs> that's tremendous.
1: Yeah, uh, double hung. So, but Terry was underrated. Terry. Sometimes Conrad was his own worst enemy. He get too involved in political shit and drama. Uh, but to say he wasn't a good hand, we death, definitely wrong. He was a very good hand. And he grew up in a territory where great wrestling was featured in Florida and the Eddie Graham era, you know? So, uh, he was very impressionable and he had great role models there. And so I, I uh, I, he could be a, uh in the ass sometimes to deal with, but, uh, especially in that era, cause he always felt like he should be on higher, much higher on the card, but I guess everybody does, but he has set times. He had a good reason for saying that sometimes he was a, one of the best two or three workers on the entire card. that was booked
0: next up a match that I wish we had her finished for. Let's set the stage back four months prior to this new Japan held a match. With Stan and Vader and unfortunately Vader's eye popped out of its socket. He pushes it back in and they wrestle another 12 minutes. It became, I don't know, wrestling lore. You want to talk about a tape trader dream. It was on all of them. Everybody was a buzz about it. And now WCW has a rematch here with Stan Hansen and big van Vader. Vader is in his full gimmick here with the awesome helmet that blows the smoke and of course, Stan Hansen's got the cowboy, uh, look on, he's got the rope. He's got the chewing tobacco, dude. It's something else. They go six minutes and 21 seconds and they're brawling all around the outside. They even brush up against you guys. And it looks like you're pretty uncomfortable there for a moment. Well, you, you wonder, you think, <laughs>
1: why, why, why would I be uncomfortable? You got a fucking heel. That's 400 pounds. that does not know his own strength. And you got Stan Hansen who can't see his hand in front of his face. So yeah, I was a little uncomfortable there. The thing about that was always, if you knock us off the air, then this submission, this show's going to be really, really good because there's going to be no audio, right? So let's don't outsmart ourselves here with a, with a worthless bullshit spot at the announcer table. You know, I've always wondered, it's been amazing to me. You know, there are other, there are three other sides of the ring that are completely vacant, go there, do what you want to do. That booking was, I can't remember who it was quite frankly, but somebody sent me that tape and, uh, it, it, and, and I looked at it and I said, Jesus Christ, this is amazing. Uh, the, the tape you're talking about with the eye popping out. Yeah. And that's what got both those guys jobs in WCW. I'm sure it is. And because we hadn't had them in there, they were new, they had name identity with a different audience, uh, big, rugged. Again, we talked about this, it sounds redundant as hell. I apologize, but monster heels don't grow on trees. That's right. And Leon, before he broke down physically, cause he was doing too much, you know, he he eliminated some of those moon salts from his 400 pound body. He he'd probably lasted a little bit longer. Uh, but somewhere along the way, somebody said, that's what make, that's what's that is what makes you special, which is horseshit. That was not what made him special. Uh, he was special when he walked through the door. Oh yeah. And then you got Stan Hansen, who I have immense respect for who's the real deal. He's the real deal. Stan was in a tag match one time with Bruce and Brody who's known as Frank Goodish at the time in the KTBS studios in, in Shreveport. And he's working with a uh, Cowboys friend, Jay Clayton and Danny Hodge and, uh, Brozer, Brody comes to watch after they had a little pre-event meeting. Bill, do you think anybody's going to believe me selling for Hodge? Frank was like six, four, five, 300, You know, Hodge is about two twenty, <laughs> and Cowboys. Oh, I think it'll be all right. Of course, watching what he's going to do. So he brings Hodge in, smartens Hodge up. You might want to let let this little let that. uh. Big big guy with a beard, feel you, and Hodge. You know, <laughs> okay? Okay, Bill. So uh, i never seen a double wrist lock applied so quickly in my whole life, and our a man bellow like that. And Hodge is such a smart guy in the regard that he could have broken his arm, which has been stupid, right? He could have, he could have kept the pain on so that you make your big monster heel look not as tough. But he let he he he, he let him out of it. But, uh, Hanson was in that group and Cowboy said, I'm sitting in a meeting. They said, he said, Hey, Bill, we're giving our notice. We don't want to be a team. I mean, we want to stay a team. You want to break us up. And Bill said, Mark, my words, fellas in your lifetime as a wrestler, you're both going to make huge money as singles and don't share the payoff in a tag match. But you got to think about it. You got you got a lot, so much money for a match. That's right. And then you got to divide it four ways. That's right do the math. So, uh, and, and lo and behold, the old cowboy was right again, Stan Hansen And, and, uh, big van Bader became huge single stars. So, uh, I, I, uh, I love those. I love those guys. They brought an authenticity and a physicality. They made other talents in the locker room pay attention because as far as I was concerned, we didn't have any heels that were red hot. If these two big bastards could come in individually and set the place on fire, uh, then have at it. we got too much comfort, too much comfort at the top of the roster. And, uh, so, and, and, and nobody screwed around with them. I mean, you know, uh, Leon could be high maintenance at times. And Hanson was just Hanson still is one of the best guys ever met in the wrestling business.
0: Let's, uh, let's remind everybody it goes to a double count out. I guess the, the reasoning here is. Well, we can't lose because the Japanese magazines, blah, blah, blah. Right.
1: Yeah. That's part of it. Uh, as sometimes they're the Japanese magazines and the promotion give more credit than they deserve to be on, in my opinion, I'm not knocking them. I just don't think it, uh, you know, one of those guys winning, but we didn't have either guy over. We didn't have heels and baby faces. We had two big rugged guys. Uh, and we wanted to extend it. This is where we get out of it going forward, knowing full well that we're going to need to, to, uh, beat one of them at some point in time. Again, that's where you get back to talent saying, I can't lose on television. Right. Then the guys that went to Japan last, I I can't script my Japanese deal, which is really bullshit. It really is. Conrad think about it. It's Bullshit. The issue is, uh, you just don't want to lose. You're insecure. Uh, and your, your ego is over, is consuming you. So, or maybe you don't know how to work well enough to lose and stay over, which can be done. So, uh, that was the deal there. You know, it was on that day. It was an easy, uh, solution. We wanted to continue the, the, uh, the bill with both those guys. Uh, we didn't want to beat either one of them at that point in time. So I, I could, I could go for that, uh, uh, that count out. And because they give them some real good action, they, they, again, they lay their shit in man. And people that we didn't have guys that were doing that to that degree. Nobody.
0: Let's get to the next match. Uh, it's for the U S title. We've announced that we're going to have a new United States championship presented to the winner here. We've spent $25,000 on it. Uh, Luger is in his fourth title reign here. He won the belt back from Stan Hansen at star 90. Uh, you course- own that belt Conrad uh not the one that he has here but the the next one I do own the next one but the the reason for the change is you're going from an NWA United States Championship now it's going to be the WCW title you guys are sort of winding down the NWA relationship yeah but this match has uh, a pretty good performer in Danny Spivey here challenging Luger for the belt they get plenty of time too 1252 Meltzer says this is the best I've ever seen of Spivey in the United States Once again, he was wrestling a Japanese style, showing a lot of what he could do. And in this case, considering his size, he really can do a lot. Luger looked larger than usual. Spivey did every move in the book and dominated the match. Since he was doing the clean job at the end, they did a screw up on a hot shot with Luger ended up throwing Spivey over the top rope, and they had to pretend not to acknowledge it because of the DQ rule. Uh, the finish would see Spivey try and slam Luger over the top rope, but Luger got the inside cradle off the move three and three quarter stars. I like the finish. I don't think I'd ever seen a finish quite like this. Uh, and then they did a little post-match deal where Nikita Koloff is back here on WCW. And supposedly with the help of, uh, Jake, the snake's dad, he's going to present Lex Luger, the new us title, but instead he attacks Luger claiming that he stole this belt back from him four years ago. So Nikita and Luger are off to the races now for the new us belt. What'd you think of the match with Danny Spivey and the post-match piece of business here with Nikita? I've always been a big fan of
1: Dan Spivey. Uh, his, uh, rendition of Waylon mercy was one of my favorite characters ever in WWE. I loved it. Uh, promos or riveting can't take your eyes off of them type verbiage and a big guy like Danny, Dan, Dan, the left-handed man, you know, his reputation in Tampa was preceded him. He's one of the, you know, the legend has it. Uh, he didn't lose many street fights as a kid growing up. He was a badass and he's left-handed. So most guys are looking for a right headed fighter and all of a sudden he knocks your ass out with his left because you're not looking for it. Uh, I, I, I love his physicality. He's a smart guy. And I thought he, he made Ray, Wayland Mercy what it was. And I understand about, you know, the Sam Cady character. What was that movie? Uh, you know, the, yeah. Um,
0: I'm talking about, uh, Cape fear,
1: Cape fear. He, he barred, amended so forth. Yeah. Uh, but I love Dan's work in that regard. It's just, Dan was a lot. I could compare Dan to Vader in WWE. I wish we had been fortunate enough to assign them, uh, earlier in their career, the toll on the beloved Japanese wrestling broke their asses down because of the stiffness. Does that mean it's good wrestling? I'm not sure about that, but nonetheless, uh, uh, Danny was just a great, he was just excellent. He could add leadership and so forth and so on. So, and then he got over some, some other issues
0: or working on it. Three and three Um, quarters though, for a Lex Luger match. A lot of that goes to Spivey, right? Wow. Hell yeah, it does. And Dan did the right thing as a pro. He made the champion look good. That's right. Uh, what'd you think of the Nikita piece of business here? Coming back to WCW. He looks a little different. He's picking up right where he left off. He wants his us title back from Lex Luger.
1: Well, we needed something new and something that, you know, uh, to get hot He at one time, you know, a lot of precipitated by Magnum TAs accident. You know, Nikita became a huge baby face in that region, uh, and on TBS. Uh but so we needed something new, but at the end of the day, because he just he, he walks back and he walks off camera to the scene, so to speak, how new was he? Oh, there's Nikita. There's no vignettes, no nothing. And, you know, to me that's a, there's better ways to shoot an angle to get Luger married to Alex than the way we did it. But having Nikita back was not a bad thing whatsoever. But again, we hurried it, We rushed it. And that was the result. I thought it was kind of lukewarm at the end of the day.
0: Next up, and this is kind of a fun one, Doom and the Freebirds for the tag team titles. Uh Freebirds pick up the win here. And Meltzer would say it's really hard for anyone to be in this position on a card. People had already seen nine matches, and the previous match was excellent, and most every match on the show was good. And everyone was anticipating the main event. Let's talk about just positioning on the card before we talk about the match or the storyline. Do you think that's right? That this is sort of the death spot. If, if you just had a big angle and it's been a ton of matches and now people are really here to see the main event, which we even sort of called a one, um, a one match show, Yeah, this is sort of the, the death spot to be right before that. Right.
1: It ain't good. You got to have a plan. You got to start out hot. I don't know how they started this match. I forgot to be honest with you. Well, you got to, you got to start a match out like that. Connor, very hot. Yes. You got to get right into it. If the worst thing you can do at times when when you're following something really spectacular, like the U S title angle was intended to be, you've got to start the next match following it hot. Don't let people settle. Uh, but, but you're right. The key thing is you can do your math and all of a sudden you realize, oh, the war games is next. I'll go to the bathroom. I'll go to the concession stand You know, whatever. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's a tough draw. And that's why you're, if you, if you had your pick of anything on the card in a pay-per-view, I'd either want to go first or last Following Anything's going to be a hazard. It could be good. It could be, you could follow a stinker and the crowds out of it, but you know, so what are you really following? Nothing. I'd rather follow something really good and try to try to build upon it. Then follow something that sucks. Pond water just had. So, uh, but the, you're only, you can be protected somewhat by going on first or closing the show.
0: The other thing I want to mention here is DDP has given a lot of mic time. Uh, he's doing an interview and Teddy long interrupts him to say, oh, you've been planning these rumors about doom breaking up. They're not breaking up. And DDP is trying to get all his catchphrases in here. You can tell he's very. <laughs> new to the wrestling business. He's still learning, but he's coming out with two ladies on his arm. He's taller than both of the guys he's managing. Uh, and he's talking the entire way. And then he cuts a huge promo in the ring that seemingly takes forever. And he introduces big daddy dink, which is sir, Oliver Humperdink Who's dressed up ridiculously. And he too has two ladies on his arm. So the Freebird faction here continues to get bigger and bigger and Lord, I love Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. But this just looks kind of lame in hindsight. Uh, we know that DDP is going to go on to do really special things in WCW as a wrestler, but this was just a miss for me. And I found myself pulling for doom, kind of forgetting at the end, after the free birds win, Butch Reed's going to cream Ron Simmons and they're no more. Yeah. What'd you think of the presentation of the free birds? Uh, and, and let's talk about DDP and big daddy dink. And then the decision to split Doom. Was it too soon? It feels like it to me.
1: Creed, you're right, Conrad. That's why you're the booker of this ship. <laughs> uh yeah, it was too soon. It's so many there's so many uh constants when when we talk about these shows in WCW. And as a as an I think our fans are part of the, our fan group on the, the Ad Free Network and, and I and especially our show, which obviously I'm partial to. Are some of the smartest and brightest fans in, that follow wrestling in the world. We can see history repeating itself sometimes, people getting in a hurry. So, unless you have a, like, I'll give you an example. Roman Reigns is being booked correctly because uh, Paul Heyman is directing that ship and making sure they don't get ahead of themselves. And Heyman's got the track record and the knowledge and the communication skills to see that, that, that happens. Uh, he, so there's a filter there, so to speak between, uh, Roman reigns and Vince and that's Paul and Re- And as time goes on, Re- Reigns will take more of that, uh, leadership, uh, role over. He'll, he'll become more involved in him. So, uh, I think that's where, we're, where we are here with the WCW stuff. Everything that we've talked about here today. Seen to have one comedy nominator creative was rushed. And sometimes I don't blame that all on dusty because, you know, you'd have heard, would come in there. I've, I've, I've said in these meetings, I've heard them, uh, the, the fact that, you know, well, upper the, the brass want this change and we gotta, we gotta get ratings up and all these things, so they believe they meaning the upper management of TBS that a change in pro wrestling is easy to implement. And that's what we got to do to fix these issues. It wasn't what we needed to do to fix these issues. We need to, we need to set up a couple of horses that we really believed in and, and ride them and get them over. And that was not the case here. So I think, uh, immature or premature, uh, booking was, uh, was, was a big issue there for us. And, you know, again, we said it earlier, the doom thing was too quick. Uh, you know, you, you, you got no buildup for a DDP's character. And Sir Oliver Humperdink, you know, Hump had been on TV forever someplace. So he's got a new name. We're supposed to be, it's not hard to, you can't, he, get you know, Hump, he doesn't get lost in a crowd, you know, Humpy doesn't get lost in a crowd. No, what a cool guy. He was now, you talk about a guy that'd be great on the ad free network back in the day, Whew. stories, he's a great storyteller, entertaining his tale. So I thought that was a little early, but it shows you, you know, that Dusty was looking for something, anything that might get hot. And then he had, you know, Dusty listened to paid some apparently. And, uh, and Hayes is always a great pitch man for his own, for their own gimmicks. So Dusty might just be the point. of what the hell I'll give him a shot. Right. But, but he didn't have any great favors putting them, uh, right before the, uh, horror games, but somebody has got to go before the war games. What are you going to do?
0: That's right. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it. We know that after this, Teddy Long's going to side with butch Reed. They're going to be the heel side. Uh, they're going to have a feud that culminates at super brawl, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, but butch Reed's going to leave the company soon thereafter. Did you know that butch was unhappy here? Uh, or was that not apparent just quite yet?
1: No, I knew that he was like a lot of our guys when you're on these, uh, odyssey tours and you're going to every small town in America, seemingly or smaller market. Uh, and the pay is what it was because these guys are not earning any more than they were guaranteed. There was no bonuses. There was no incentives being paid. What you, what your check call for is what you got. Right. And if it was positioned differently when you signed, then that's a, that's not fair to the talent. So in other words, if I said, Conrad, I'm going to hire you. You're going to make a hundred grand a year. That's 1900 and something a week. But if we do good and the houses are up, you know, you're going to get performance bonuses. So count, you know, that money will be new money. And that's what we did in WWE when I was there. Uh, in during that era, the talents, the house shows did good, pay-per-views did good. You got more money. So you weren't locked into that one number so you could develop a comfort zone, which is a case of death. So, uh, but I know Bush wanted more structure, wanted to get in front of more houses. And do you, if you're on a, a week, the business, as you, said, we talked about earlier, being kind of cyclical. WWE needed stars and butch Reed was perceived as a star. Uh, and so it wasn't a shock that he's, he's going to go to the WWE. And quite frankly, if he would asked me, I'd have said, it's what you should do. Uh,
0: let's talk about the main event It's the legendary war games, the match beyond Meltzer said it's one of the best matches he'd ever seen live. The buildup to this match was rather interesting. Of course, after being unmasked as the black scorpion. Rick Flair regains the title from Sting on January 11th. Uh so this is a continuation of that feud, but because of the way the next few months went, this winds up being the blow-off of the Sting Flair rivalry. 4 months after this, of course, Flair's gone and Sting's not competing uh, in a major match with him until 1994.
1: Yeah, but this a major, is, match, a major
0: match with anybody, right? Yeah, I mean, I think some people would say he had major matches with Vader, but yeah, I mean it was marquee whenever it was Flair Sting. If you want to pop a rating, you want to get a buy rate. Just put Flair and Sting in there.
1: Yeah, it works. I agree with you.
0: Um, I guess this is not a shock. The heels win the coin toss, but not only that, <laughs> the heels win War Games. The heel team has, believe it or not, Arn Anderson didn't start a War Games match. I thought that was a rule that the heels always win and Arn always starts, but Arn's on the outside for this one. It's Ric Flair, Larry Zabisco, Sid Vicious, and Barry Windham picking up a win over sting Brian Pillman and the Steiner brothers. A lot of people say this is the best war games ever. It got a five-star rating in the observer. If you're going to watch one match from this show, this is it. They get plenty of time, 22 minutes and five seconds. Meltzer would say it was 22 minutes of solid mayhem with the crowd on its feet, screaming from the opening of the action. It's supposed to be Pillman's night. According to Dave, since the object of this match was to get Pillman over. And at the same time, have him lose and carried out of the ring on the surface, trying to accomplish both seemed mutually exclusive, but it seemed to have been successful. Pillman starts with Wyndham for the first five minutes. And it's the best I've ever seen Pillman look and the best I've seen of Wyndham in years, the match kept that same level throughout. Wyndham's going to bleed buckets in the first two minutes. This is a, a hell of a start and you've got two of the all time greats in there starting, but this roster the amount of talent on both sides here, it's pretty special. I mean, I see why this show and this match is, is held in such high regard.
1: All real good bell to bell guys. There are right. no weak links in that match. My point in saying earlier, I said earlier was, but who was over, right? Who was must see their names on the card. I got to see them. And that's what, uh, was missing in my view of these dudes, but to, to criticize the the men in this match would be ridiculous and ill, ill, uh, ill stated. It's not, it's not accurate, but the issue was quite frankly, the fact that they just, we just didn't have anybody hot, red, hot on again, off again, politics, drama, all kinds of bullshit. So, uh, and our infrastructure, WCW, which we discussed here continued the ugly and the poor, uh, infrastructure continued to re- rear its ugly head. So, uh, you know, I, I agree with you on the talent side, great talents, but who was over, that was the issue. The war games match did well because the concept of the war games was over and it was not over exposed. Right. And it, and you knew what it was. So it just made a lot more sense. It did so the, it's like, cause uh, people say, well, WrestleMania sells the, the brand sells. Right, and that's, I'm not going to argue that point, Sure, but, but the issue is, is that wargame sold as well. And it might've been the most sellable thing that, uh, we had going for us there. And as you alluded to earlier, it was the highest producing pay-per-view in WCW that year.
0: Let's, uh, let's remind everybody Spisco is in because he's substituting for Arn Anderson. Arn had a a pulled groin and he tried to come back too soon and re injured it. So he's out. Uh, but everybody's working hard here. Flares bleeding, stings bleeding. We said Wyndham was, and Meltzer would say, basically this match delivered even more than it was promised, but there is a downside in a match of this nature. All the juice and constant low blows should be accepted because that is what the match promised. However, if the promotion goes back to heavy juice nightly and all the low blows, they'll face all the same problems they faced in 88. The big moment in the match is when vicious gives Brian Pillman, a power bomb, and he hasn't judged the height of the cage. Just right. Pillman's feet hit the top of the cage and Pillman is dropped right on the back of his neck. He's legitimately knocked out. That's supposed to be the finish. He winds up going to the hospital that night with muscle and ligament strains in his neck. He's going to be out of action for a little bit, but they don't stop there. They give him a second power bomb and this time he clears it. But at this point, Nick Patrick stops the match and he explains in a post-match interview with you and dusty that Pillman was not responding to him and he wasn't going to have someone, you know, lose their career in there, not on his watch, Mm -hmm. but I like the idea that he didn't quit. He didn't tap out, but he is unconscious and he doesn't respond. Pillman is a bigger star and it's kind of ironic, I guess, knowing what we know about Brian Pillman and Sid later this year in a fucking squeegee, uh, but five stars, I love the match. What say you? No, I liked it a lot. It was the best match on a
1: card. It was a reason to stay hooked through the whole thing. As you mentioned earlier, if you're going to watch one match from the, this war games event is that one yep. and you a great array of talent. Uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that folks liked it was in fact, it had so much drama in it, it had a, it had an enhanced and enlarged cast, you had the dramatic effect of the blood. Uh, a lot of those elements that were, had not been overused, which goes back to the same storytelling, slow down your storytelling and you're not getting juice every week, but when you do get blood, it's at a very special time and it's dictated by the office and not the talent cause the talent will get blood as often as they, they're allowed to. Because most wrestlers believe this to their benefit and to the match's benefit to add the drama of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the Clarence, you know, as Gordon Sully would say, uh, uh-uh. uh, <sighs> the, uh, Paxon Nam is uh, bleeding, uh, profusely, uh, from a huge gash over his eye. He's a crimson mask. So when you get to see that crimson mask, sometimes it, it increases your heart rate a little bit. It does that in boxing. Does that in MMA to this very day? Certainly doesn't pro wrestling when it can be packaged in a presentation form that, uh, amplifies it's uh, it's impact.
0: Let's talk about dusty on commentary. Uh, it's discussed a little bit in the newsletters because dusty had a reputation when he was here, a part of Jim Crockett promotions and the NWA before that oh dusty just books himself on top and now he's back. Fresh off of being on the Royal Rumble just one month prior for the WWF, but he's not wrestling. He's on commentary with you. And Meltzer would say, if he's going to put him on TV, hisself on TV this much, he might as well just be wrestling. I think that might be a little sour grapes from Dave. How was dusty as a broadcast partner? Were you surprised when he wanted to do color with you?
1: Uh, no, not really. You know, I know where you want to stay involved. and keep his, uh, his TV presence established. That was one way of doing it. And, uh, I'd had a variety of partners in WCW and all of them were good, quite right. frankly. And so I think he liked that rub, quite honestly, without sounding so egocentric on my end, but he, he sitting in a good chair. That chair facilitated a lot of guys to, to, you know, to get exposure and, and so forth. So, uh, the, our first outing was not good because he talked too much. And that sounds really, really shitty for me to say that because I I talk all the time, but I'm the play by play guy. I got to set the table, keep the rudder in the water, stay between the lines, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, and sometimes, you know, I got a big, I have a big issue with commentary to this day, I had it all, I've had it forever. One is talking through false finishes. Uh, how do we know it's a false finish? Not the finish unless we know the finish that makes sense to you. Yeah. So all of a sudden we just talk through those false finishes because we know that's not the finish. It's an expose. It takes the edge off. It's like throwing a pass into the end zone and you know that it's on tape. So you know that, or you know what the plan is. He drops the ball. It's not a, it's not a completed pass, but you don't call it that way. You just, you, you, you took the edge off your own call. The other thing is with the, the frigging use of pronouns. I know we've made fun of Vince about that, but one of the best things Vince taught me and commentary was to not overuse pronouns. He hit him. Oh, he did it again. Who the fuck is he? Right. Who is he, Conrad? If the TV's on down my hall and I'm in my kitchen, no pun intended, don't make fun of me because I'm there a lot. Uh, and I hear, he did it. He did it. Well, I'm, I'm wondering who the hell they're talking about. It doesn't stick. If I said Conrad Thompson did it, Conrad Thompson overcame the odds. He is the champion of the world. Or I could say he did it. He overcame the odds. He's the champion of the world. It doesn't have the same stick, right? The same visual Conrad Thompson. I have a visual. He is nothing but a pronoun, a benign pronoun. And a lot of wrestlers do that. a lot of announcers do that today. And I catch myself doing, it. I hate it. He. So next time you listen to your favorite wrestling show on TV, see how many times the announcers use pronouns. If we're, if we are lazy and we use them too much, you know, that are, we're not in the game, the best way to get talent over. And that's the only job that a broadcaster has is to get talent over. You do it with their names, their nicknames. Nate's did it. The nature boy, Ric Flair, all these, there's the me. And I told a kid the other day, a guy is does commentary text me and one of some help, he doesn't work for our company, AEW. And I told him that you got the most important job you got is to get talent over and you got to figure out different ways to describe the talent, uh, without, without it being a pronoun. So, you know, I, I would say the big bruiser from Huntsville, Alabama. Okay. That's that's Conrad or Bobby Eaton, but you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm joking, but, but that's what I'm saying you just it's little things like that. And so, you know. I tried to explain that to dusty. He got it quite frankly. And our second broadcast was better than the first broadcast still with too many pronouns in my opinion, but he did, he did fine. Dusty had great charisma. Look, he wrote the show. You think he wouldn't know the content, right? You know, that, that helped quite frankly. That's like when I used to work with Vince, he wrote the show. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. And sometimes during the middle of a live broadcast, Vince might change direction a little bit. So you got to listen. And, and, and they react accordingly. So, but I, I, I had, I enjoyed working with dusty. He made me look slimmer and, uh, (laughs) and, uh, and, but neither one of us had a command of the King's English, but we had fun doing it. And we did have fun, you know, and I like, I like working with dusty. Like a lot, a lot of those guys could, could realize that somewhere down the road. It's like Chris Jericho right now. Chris Jericho can, could, could easily slide into a seat. And be as good a color commentator is in the business period. But he's preparing for that. So some, it's and some, and to some degree for what are you going to do in wrestling? If you want to be in wrestling after you stop wrestling. So if you want those checks to keep coming in, what what other skill can you bring to the table? Well, you can damn sure be a broadcaster and a TV shows got to have broadcasters. I found that out a long time ago. So the wrestlers need a soundtrack and that's what uh, we're supposed to be doing.
0: Well, what we're supposed to be doing is telling everybody that, uh, you and dusty had something else in common. You both love barbecue. And if you love barbecue, you got to go to dot You've got to pick up the all purpose seasoning. You got to pick up the Chipotle ketchup. You got to get some of that main event mustard. And, uh, you've still got your awesome book over there too. Tell us about it, Jim.
1: Yeah, we got, uh, we're doing well with that. Um, uh, the book signings have been great. I have uh under the black hat and the first book slavebber knocker in stock in our on our website a little base there in norman boy it's been i don't have business' it's been this week because it's uh I don't think the mailman can get out there where well, they had all the traffic stopped there because of the you know I say blizzard and you put that on social media and so that says well it's uh you said it was seven below zero, which is something like that it was this, earlier this week well I just want you to know that I went outside last night it was. 30 below zero, right? Okay. You wound up me good for you, pal.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it's just people, but, uh, but our business is good. Thanks. And contrary to mother nature, but we appreciate everybody supporting our family recipes. You know, my mom used to work all day, man. And if I, we had the smoker running all day outside, that was part of one of my little jobs, make sure the temperature stayed consistent about 180, 200, whatever it was dad wanted. And they are both at work and I watched the smoker. I took care of that. Then when mom got home, she went right from work, right into the kitchen and she'd start making the homemade barbecue sauce. And I remember that lovingly. Uh, I can still smell it, but really it's, it's kind of weird. So that's kind of what we patterned our JR's original after. And then we expanded it to the hot. I even talked to a guy yesterday or a few days ago, as we record this about making me a, a hot sauce for our, for our uh, line. Wow. So we're looking at that enlarging a little bit. I just, it's gotta be good. And it's gotta, gotta, you know, all these things you gotta figure out about delivery and inventory and things like that. They're not the fun things to do, but you gotta do them. Right. Make sure you got to, your supply didn't run out. So, um, but it, all of them, all of them's got something special. You know, I made a meatloaf here the other day here in Florida when I got back from Oklahoma and I topped it with a uh, chipotle ketchup. Wow, that's and I cool. cooked it. I, I cooked it that way. Baked it in, you know? Yeah. Oh, it was awesome. So any, any of us idiots can go to a a store and they got these little, uh, uh, you know, they're already, they're already made and they're ready to be put in the oven. And so I hit the, uh, Jr seasoning on it pretty good. And then I hit the ketchup on top of that. Then I bake it in the oven to whatever, whatever the instructions say. And man, that was a good one too. So I appreciate everybody's business and we're trying to do our best to be the best customer service uh, group in the, in digital sales. Uh, Stephen Link runs that site for me and and does, uh, he's our operations guy and does a hell of a job. And, and he, he knows my demands, unfortunately, lack of a better term that we've got to have great customer service. We got to make people want to do business with us. So I got to tell wrestlers before Conrad. Don't give the promotion any reason to not want to do business with you. Right. And that, that applies to a lot, of, a lot of our work, man. What you do, what I do, and the whole nine yards. So uh, it's been good. So JR's will turn your word around very quickly, and uh, we appreciate you just checking it out. It going not cost nothing to look, I can tell you that.
0: And next week, it won't cost anything to check out no way out 2001. That's our topic. It, uh, went down, gosh, 20 years ago now, February 25th, right there at the Thomas and Mack center in Las Vegas, we've got the rock beating Kurt angle for the world championship. We've also got a triple threat tag team tables match for the tag titles where we've got edge and Christian, the brothers of destruction and the Dudley boys all in the same match, uh, Stevie Richards will be taking on Jerry Lawler. Triple H will be in a three stages of hell match with stone cold. Steve Austin, Stephanie will be wrestling Trish. That's right. Stephanie in action. Jericho will be in there and check out this four-way for the IC Sean Waltman, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit are his opponents. Uh, and the opening match is for the hardcore championship. Raven defends against big show 20 years ago. No way out 2001. What a loaded roster, dude. Maybe one of the best ever. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think so. Well, I'm partial though.
0: Yeah, of course. Well, you know, what am I going to
1: say? JR. your work sucked. Our team did a great <laughs> job of, uh, our team and talent relations did a great job of, of, uh, looking, scouting, developing, signing, all that stuff. Uh, and some of these guys saw that timing was right to be a star. Timing is right to whatever you got left in your tank that you haven't invested yet. Now's the time. You you can say, well, it's always the time. Okay, I get it. Take it easy, Tiger. But the the thing is, uh, now it's when you want to be a star. That's right. People are buying tickets. The higher up the card you move, the more money you're going to make. That tried and true principle has not changed in wrestling. It concerns me a little bit today with the COVID issues. By the way, I've become a big believer in the saliva COVID tests. So if anybody's thinking about how do I get checked and the weather's bad or whatever, you can do all this stuff by... Not leaving your house. I'm not. On, I'm not got any horse in this race. Dog in the hunt. Whatever cliche you want to use, but for me, it's just a whole lot easier. And it's a saliva test. It's very, very accurate, and you get the results back in 24 hours or less. So uh, think about that for you guys that are getting needing to get checked, and everybody should be checked. If you say, "Well, I got checked three months ago," they don't count. They don't count at all. I got on the elevator this morning in my building. This guy, neither him or his wife had a, I assume it was his wife, somebody's wife, didn't have a, uh, their mask on. I did. And they said, well, he said, I've had, I had COVID. So I got the antibodies. I don't know what all that means. That's like drag, click, pace, hunt, do this, whatever. And then she, he said, and she's a doctor. Okay. I said, I'll just, I'll just inhale. I won't exhale or nothing. I'll just hold my breath until we get to the bottom of the ground. They laughed and I wanted to tell them I'm not laughing. So you got to be careful of that kind of shit, but nonetheless, I'm not sure where I was on that deal, but, uh, uh, it just crossed my mind. What were we talking about? Conrad
0: we're talking about, that's the end of the show, Jim. And we greatly appreciate it. I got more in me, man. I got more juice. (laughs) I got more shit
1: here, brother. You gotta save
0: something for Wednesdays on dynamite. (laughs) Don't you?
1: Yeah. Hey, you know, that here's the funny thing about that, doing that show at dailies. Uh, this week it may rain. Yeah. Which is gonna be a really interesting element. Now we're undercover. It's an amphitheater. It's got open air sides, but it's got a roof over it. But buddy, we've had some TVs here in the last month that have been nipply, to say the very least. Like 40. So it's like doing a football game or something. You're sitting outside, it's 40 degrees. You know, you bundle up so much, you fat guys, you know, us fat guys are leery of bundling overly bundling because it makes our look of a Michelin man, become more prominent. <laughs> I don't need any clothing. <laughs> I don't need any clothing. I don't know where any extra shit to make me look fatter. So, uh, anyway, I, I it's, we, we, we've had some interesting weather situations out there, but I, I'm worthy on that deal. I just, I'll, I'll have a little left. I promise you. We got a good card. Got good. Some Tony Khan's doing some good job, doing a great job, writing television. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't even bring it up if it wasn't true. But it's true. So I get to kiss some mass and, uh, and, and, you know, feather my nest as I say, well,
0: let's keep feathering baby and pick up some barbecue sauce and small purpose seasoning over at Jr's BBQ.com. And don't forget, you get all these shows early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. Not only will you get no way out 2001 early, you'll also get March and March looks super strong. We've got Rick Steiner. We've got WrestleMania 20 and ask Jr anything WrestleMania 17. It's going to be fun. So much meat on the bone. Stay tuned. We're going to have a lot. We're going to have a lot of fun as we get ready for WrestleMania season. He's at JR's BBQ. I am at. Hey, Hey, it's Conrad and we are out of time. We'll see you back right here next week on grilling JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Extremely heavy on the Mr. Sir, Mike,
1: how are you my kind, sir? I'm good. Conrad Harry. Oh, we already did that. Didn't we? Have a good week, everybody. I'm kidding. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us.